0: God's design for marriage is found in Matthew chapter 19. Jesus said, at the beginning, the Creator made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his mother and father and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Welcome to By Design from American Family Radio. Did you know when you train your child to tie their shoes, you're training them to do something that they'll do two weeks during their lifetime when you put it all together. And uh, and so training children is so important. Uh, the Bible makes it plain. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. That's a principle in the Bible. I call it a principle with a promise. To take it just so low as a promise is taking usually the book of Proverbs out of what it, the purpose was, but to put a pro, uh, a a promise with a provision that God's made in a principle and working it right, uh, I think it gives hope, and I hope that gives you hope. And those of you that are younger and still training your children, are you who are grandparents like Jan and myself, uh, helping train them, uh, be a great influence on their life, what an opportunity. So when you're teaching your child to tie their shoes, tie those knots, it's a good deal. But teaching something more than that about their dependence on God is even greater. Uh, they only may need to tie their shoes two weeks during their lifetime, but they need God the entire time that they're living. And, and so God knew that, and so he put a promise uh, in the book of Deuteronomy, uh, chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. It's called the Shema, uh, the Jewish Shema, and it is so important I want to read it as we begin uh, this lesson today. It simply says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. need to kind of underline that. Teach them how diligently to your children. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way. When you lie down and when you rise up, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. They will guide you. That's how it means it. It doesn't mean literally, but it means that God's Word will guide us. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Uh, You need to be reminded of when you go out and when you come in that God is God, and we're following Him, and we're teaching the things of God. You know, what we do with this is so important as we share the Word of God and as we uh, have our children to grow and nurture and admonition of the Lord. uh, This is part of God's design, and you're listening to this program called By Design because we want to dig into the Word of God and see what God's design is for life, for marriage, for family for church? What is God's design? And that's what we want to follow. And uh, I have five things that I want to share with you, five principles, five areas that we need to train our children. Now, I want to just tell you, I don't know where all this came from. Uh, I guarantee you I heard it somewhere and it stuck with me, possibly Dr. Dobson, it could be others. But these five principles need to be placed at the forefront of teaching your children and your grandchildren. It's reminding me of 1 Samuel seventeen forty when, when David faced the giant, he went and got five smooth stones. And everybody says, why'd well, get five? Only he had time for only one. And the whole thing is everybody says he had four brothers, so he was ready to take on one at a time. And so, but these five principles are stones that you build your life upon. You remember Peter? Uh, he said, Peter, upon this rock I will build my church. Now, I don't think he was talking about Peter. I believe he was talking about Jesus Christ himself uh, because Peter is Petros, It means uh, a little stone, but Jesus is the very foundation. So we want to have our children's lives built on the foundation of God's Word, of who Jesus Christ is, and our faith in him that comes through grace. So I want to share these five principles with you today. And uh, I, I think it's important because they're going to face giants the way David faced Goliath. Uh, We're going to face giants the way Caleb would face giants when he was 85 years old. uh, He was ready to take that mountain and fight those giants. So we want our children to be able to be ready to go into the world. It's like it says in Psalm 127, as arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of our youth. And so we want to prepare them to go into the areas that God has for them and be strong. So the first thing area that I think God would have us to do. There's, these are not in order, and they're not in order of importance. They're just five areas that they need to be taught. One is teach them to suffer well. Uh, I, I think, I really do, if we're not careful, preachers, teachers, uh, we'll make it sound like the Christian life, after you come to Jesus, it is a breeze, can I be honest with you and say, tell you it's everything but a breeze? Uh, it, it, we follow Christ, and he said himself, in this world you're going to have trouble. You're going to have a lot of it. And so you have to teach your children to expect that, that suffering is going to be a part of, of their lives. And uh, now in our day in 2022 uh, that and the year coming up, 23, We're going to have difficulty. That's the whole aspect of it, and it gets worse and worse. That's what Paul said. You can expect in the last days for it to grow more difficult. So what is the theology of suffering? We need to teach our children that life is hard. Life is not easy. It's got bumps in the road. It has difficulties. It has curves in the road. Uh, But God is good. God is good even in the midst of, of heartache. God is good in the midst of trouble. Now, how would you teach this? I think you teach it more by example than by just words. You demonstrate it. Uh, children, especially teenagers, they can spot hypocrisy a mile away. And if what you say and what you do do not match up, I want to tell you, those children will pick it up fast, and they will know that, and then them hearing what you say uh, goes out in one ear and out the other. But we need to understand that life is hard. We need to understand that first as we teach our children that, but God is good. Life is unjust. Um, it's, It's not always a fair playing field. Uh, you have to overcome some ob- obstacles. God's, God is sovereign, and God is in control, and we can trust him, but we don't know the paths that he'll send us on. We don't know the rugged terrain that we'll have to go through. We don't know the minefields that we have to navigate, so we trust him. Uh, I played basketball in high school. Matter of fact, we were a pretty good team. We won our state in that division that we were in, and uh, we just loved it. But our coach taught us, said, guys – in basketball, you're not just playing five players. At it, sometimes it'll be like seven because every so often those referees uh, they won't let it go your way, and you can't let that stop it, stop you. You can't let it get in your way. You keep your goal and your eyes on what God has for you and and what He He's purpose for us. So we go with God and we trust Him and do our best. So life is tough. It is hard. Now, the Bible shows that. It, I think it's best demonstrated in Joseph's life. You know, not, not the, uh, the husband of Mary, but the Old Testament Joseph, the son of Jacob who had the brothers that sold him into slavery, Uh, the guy that was put in prison for an unjust cause, the guy that said, when you come before Pharaoh and you tell him this, remember what I said, he was forgotten. And all these things were going wrong and wrong year after year after year. But Joseph continued doing what God had placed him to. And finally, Joseph was taken out of prison, and he was established as one of the rulers of Egypt with Pharaoh. And in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, uh, he's referring to his brothers who sold him into slavery that caused this domino effect in his life of mistreatment and imprisonment and lying about him. He said, you meant it unto me for harm, but God did it for good. God's got an ultimate goal for your life, and you may not even know that until you get to heaven. At least Joseph got to see it down here. But we live in our expectation that God is doing something in our lives and with us, and we need to teach our children. God has a purpose for you. God has a goal for you. In the New Testament, we think that of Jesus Christ. Peter said, when Jesus was reviled, he reviled not. Jesus came knowing that he would be rejected of men, so he endured that, so he could complete god's task when he'd pray not my will but yours be done now how do you do this in your children's life as you want them to grow in, in in even in the midst of difficulty you don't get them out of the trouble they get every time now you need to be there with them helping them guiding them uh but you don't bail them out every time you have to let them suffer some of the consequences. Now, when they're young, you have to know that. You have to know how much and how far to go. But find out what they're concerned about. Find out what they're suffering. How's their uh, classmates treating them? How is their sisters and brothers treating them? And you observe, and you know that, and you find out where they're suffering and and share with them, hey, when you're going through difficult times, do you know some of the greatest people in the Bible— some of the greatest people in history are people that suffered from friends deserting them. They suffered from difficulties in life. They suffered from the storms of life, and they came out strong because they knew that God was in charge. So teach them to suffer well. Secondly, I would say this. Teach them to work, and their work should be under the Lord. Uh, they need task. They need to have those things that they have to do. We call them chores. Now, I, I'm an old farm boy, and I remember this. Uh, we had to do our chores before we did the work. <laughs> chores were just a part of what we did. Uh, we had cows. We had the milk every day and every evening. We had chickens that we had to feed. We had to gather the eggs. Uh That that wasn't really considered work in the Harper home. That was chores that we had to do, and then we had to go to the hay field. Then we had to go to the cotton patch. Then we had to go to the corn patch and and do all that other stuff and cut wood. That was the work. The chores preceded that, and we had to get them done. Now, uh, you know, I raised our three sons, Jan and I did, in town, And I was raised out in the country, and I decided it sure was a lot easier to teach your boys a lot about work, uh, being on a farm, than it was in town. But you can be creative. You can do it. You can find ways to teach them the theology of work. Work is a calling. Uh, It's not just a job. God is good that man works. And uh, the Garden of Eden was a place of work. Now, they didn't have to spend their time fighting weeds and fighting varmints, but they, it was still work that had to be done. So part of the curse concerning Adam and Eve was not work. It was the sweat of the brow, the difficulties in the work. So make work a part of their calling. Work is sacred. Do it as under the Lord. Whatever your hand find to do, do it as under the Lord. Do it with all your might. Uh, our work well, if we can find out what work is, and then we find our purpose and find out God's design for us, we can find work that is so fulfilling in our lives that it brings joy. And uh, you need to work like you worship for an audience of one. Uh, don't be a man pleaser. Just do a good job when your boss is looking at you. No. That's not as under the Lord. You don't teach that to your children either. You do the work, and again, the best way to teach these things is by example. The biblical example is, like I said already in the book of Genesis, Adam was put in the garden to keep it. He had a vocation. He was a gardener. It's great to have that vocation. The biblical principle is having a vocation. Uh, Paul uh, was a tent maker. Jesus was a carpenter. And so having, and, and others were fishermen. They, they had occupations. The New Testament demonstrates that. Work as unto the Lord, not as unto men. Do not be that man pleaser. How does this apply to life? Uh, help your child, discover is calling. Uh, let him know, said, man, there's some things. We're going to let you do different things. We're going to let you work here, do this, so you can find out what is enjoyable to you and what you do best. And weekly chores and jobs, uh, do it with a good attitude. So again, remember what I said? (laughs) You want to do this by example. So what you do with your job, don't be a complainer about your job all the time at home. Now, I know every once in a while you got to get it out and you got to share it, but be careful how much you do that, especially in front of the kids, because you're teaching them that work is horrible, it's bad. No, work is good. Study their gifts and help them develop them. Again, watch those children, see what they do well, and help them develop those skills so they can be one that can work is under the Lord the third thing that I think that it teaches that we need to teach our children as we go through life to know God to know his principles to love him is to teach them to manage their lives wisely Matter of fact, God calls us stewards. That means manager. And so a theology of managing ship. Uh, again, our example, God God owns everything. The earth is the Lord's in the fullness thereof. We need to understand that it is God's. He made this. He's the creator, not only the redeemer. And God has entrusted time, talent, and treasure to us. Now, that's been throughout. You've heard that. If you've never heard it before, you haven't opened your ears very much because we hear that quite a bit, but it's true. These three T's, God has entrusted time to us. How are we using our time? He's given us talents. Now, you may have to be like me and work real hard to discover talents you have because I sure could not draw. I sure could not sing. I had no musical ability at all. Matter of fact, when I was in college, uh, my degree required that I have to take a fine arts course, and uh, I knew I didn't need to take art appreciation. I, uh, I everything to me, all art was abstract, not just abstract art. I, I could not produce it. My stick men were crooked, and. Uh, I had no hope. Music ability, I had none. I enjoyed it, but I couldn't know anything. Is that note right? And so I decided there was one more. My advisor said, well, there's one more that you could take if you'd want. I said, what is it? He said, floral design. So I took floral design one semester. My wife, Jan, she was my girlfriend at that time. She loved that class more than any class I ever took in college because on Friday, Uh, We had a workhouse and uh, it would do a workshop and we would go and we would arrange an arrangement or do something, and I would get to bring that to her on that Friday. She liked that uh, that class. But it was something. I don't say I did it well, but I could follow instructions, and I could put that flower where the teacher said to put it. And so, uh, you know, let them know that the earth is the Lord's, and he's entrusted them with time, talent, and treasure. Speak them about their money, and let them— Uh, You know, I know a lot of people say, well, on the chores, they don't need to give money for it. Yeah, they do, because they need to learn to manage that money and manage it well. And so God will hold us accountable. We need to understand that part of this managing your life well is giving to the church. Uh, people call it tithing. The Bible talks about a tenth and it going to church and, and supporting ministries wherever you would see that God would have you to. God wants us to do that and share in sharing that. It's a theology of stewardship. The biblical basis is, is easy. Even in the Garden of Eden, guess what he said? Be fruitful. Be fruitful. Use your time wisely. Uh, Adam and Eve, use your talents wisely the treasures that I've given you here in this garden, use them wisely, and they were using them wisely until Satan came in and told them that they were missing out on something. God was holding back something that they could really have, and they would be better off. No, when you listen to Satan, you won't be better off on the end of the results. You'll be worse, and that was true with Adam and Eve as they sinned, and they were run out of the Garden of Eden, and then that perfect environment was they were they was guards there the angels there that they could not go back in and so the old testament teaches us to be fruitful he's the book of matthew chapter 25 talks about using the things that god has given us wisely like the treasures that god has given you You don't bury it Uh, you don't let fear dominate that no you use and you teach your children the same thing Teach them to manage their lives, manage their, their finances, manage their time wisely. And so when you do that, how do you do that? Teach your children the three purposes of money, giving, saving, spending. Let me repeat that. Teach your children the three purposes of money, giving, saving, and spending. And and use it wisely. Let them see you do that as well. Again, a best example is you doing it yourself, and teach your children to plan ahead. Uh, When they make some decisions, say, what would this decision mean five years from now? If you don't follow through with what you started, uh, that means in five years you won't have that money saved up. You won't have the ability to play the piano if you don't discipline yourself to practice. Uh, You won't be able to be a part of that gymnastics team if you don't go and learn and let that teacher teach you. So what you want them to do, learn to manage their lives wisely. The fourth thing is teach them to make wise choices. I'm going to use just a cliche, but it's a good one. Decisions determine destiny. D-D-D, decisions determine destiny. Uh, So we need to understand that choices are important, wise choices. We need to go to God and ask him to direct us in all of our ways, acknowledge him. He will direct our paths. He will help us in our choices. We need to understand that God is totally holy. That means he's totally other than ourselves. The Bible says God is not man, and the Bible teaches man is not God. And what people has done, they've tried to reverse that and try to make God in their own image rather than us being made in the image of God. And so what we want to do is teach our children that God is holy. It doesn't mean he is unreachable, but it means that he is holy, separate. We're to reverence him and know him. We're to teach them that in worship at home. We need to teach them at church. That's why you don't take God's name in vain. God is holy. His name is holy. And God is absolute truth. When God says it and where God stands, we stand with God. We teach our children, where does what does God's word say about this? And when God's word says it, we stand there, we walk there, we stay there with God. What God says is good, it's good. And what God says is bad? It's bad. That's just the way it is. Your children need to hear that. They need to see that and observe that. God is God's word is what is truth. In the day in which people are saying, you know, truth is just what you say it is or what you might, your truth and my truth. No. God's word is truth. It is settled in heaven. It's settled for eternity. And that your ultimate aim for your child, they need to hear it. We want you to be happy, but more than being happy, we want you to be holy. We want you to know God and to follow him. The Old Testament makes it plain. You remember Moses calling? He says, Moses, you're on holy ground. Why was it holy? Because God's presence was there. He was in that burning bush. We need to teach them that we're to know that God is holy. In the New Testament, Peter would repeat that, and he'd say, you need to be holy because God is holy. That word holiness doesn't mean self-righteous. It doesn't mean better than anybody. It just means that I am living my life set apart for God. I want God to have his way in my life, that Jesus would even pray that not my will, but your will be done. And so you teach your children that making these wise choices with God's mind and God's heart and God's word will lead to a life that is, uh, it may not be happy, but it will be complete. It will be joyful. Now, how do we do that? We even do that when they're little. Man, read the Bible stories to them. Sing those godly good songs to them. Let that be a part of what you do. And let them see that, that God is good all the time and lift up Jesus to them. Make Jesus the major theme of your conversation. The fifth and final thing that we would say today in how to prepare your kids for life's biggest battles is to teach them a theology of grace, not only about God's grace, how he loves and he forgives and he makes a way for a person to know him, but we need to we need to demonstrate grace toward them, that children are going to, you know, they're going to mess up. Now, Being graceful doesn't always mean that you let them by. That's not what it is. It means that you love them and correct them through it, through the disobedience, through the, the mismanagement. You show grace by loving them and helping them and demonstrating that through them, even in the correction. Grace is the unmerited and unconditional love of God. Um, and, and Jesus demonstrated that. He told his apostles, if you have seen me, you've seen the Father. That is grace, and we want God to be seen in our lives as parents. And so Jesus endured the cross because of the grace that he had bestowed on you and me. The biblical basis again, when Adam and Eve sinned, guess what? He came and he shed uh, he, he killed that animal and put animal skins on them, the shed and the blood. In the New Testament, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace are you saved through faith. It is only through God that we can be saved. It's not works. Now, the rest of that uh, verse, those verses in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10, it says, after we're saved, we are created unto good works. We're his workmanship created unto good works. Good works are to follow. Your children need to see that in your life. Help your children to realize that failure is not final with God. Uh, People say, God, he's the God of second chances. Let me share this. In my life, it's been, okay, the third, fourth, fifth, whatever chances it are, I'm thankful he looked beyond my fault and saw my need. It wasn't only for salvation, but he saw my need for him to be in my life, staying with me. He would never leave me. He will never forsake me. Teach your children that God is a friend that's there closer than a brother. Let them see that the grace of God is so real. It's demonstrated in your life. Let them hear what God's done in your life, that he saved you whenever that was. Let them hear the stories of grace that God demonstrated in your life. And when we do these things, I just want to tell you, our lives will be complete. Let me go over them real quickly as we end today's program. It is this. Teach them to suffer well. Teach them to have a great work habit as under the Lord. Teach them to have and make wise choices. And teach them... to to manage their lives wisely. They're stewards of what God's given them and finally teach them about the grace of God and the grace they need to bestow toward others. Thank you for listening for By Design and we pray that we would take God's principles, God's promises and let them navigate our lives so other people can see Christ in us because that is God's design for you and me.